And now on this episode of Miami Mic'd Up, I am pleased to welcome back. You know, actually, I'm thinking about it. Mm. And last week we had Jason Jackson on, who was our guest on our second ever episode of Miami Mic'd Up. This week, we repeat a guest from our first ever episode of Miami Mic'd Up. Izzy Gutierrez is here. Izzy, so excited to see you. You know him for all of his from all of his work with ESPN. Uh, Izzy, it is an absolute pleasure to have you back. Um, thank you for taking the time to join me. And I'm going to start Thanks, man. this podcast exactly the same way as I've started every single other one of our conversations. What's something recently outside of work that has brought you joy? Hmm. I feel like every time you ask me this, I, I lean to some family stuff. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, yesterday I went to visit the nieces and nephews and my nephew Aiden uh, drew me a little uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle uh, cartoon <laughs> drawing, awesome. and he's really good at it uh, for his age. And then I asked him if if I could have it, and he said yes. But he took it back from me first, signed it, and put a heart on it, and so that Aww. made me very happy. And so that's now it's adorable. in my fridge right now. <laughs> yeah, as it as it should be. That's the best. That's you're getting uh you know the extra value on the artist's signature. Exactly. And right. It comes from the heart. I also watched the uh, Diego Maradona doc from 10 years ago, which brought me some joy. But what, how, was how was that? How was that? It was really good. It was really good. I think it was from 2014. But um, I think uh, I heard somebody mention it on the show. Maybe it was uh, on Dan Levitard's show. Maybe it was uh, me and El Hassan. And I was like, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm I'm all in on Leo Messi. Let me go back and learn a little bit more about uh, Maradona. If anyone would have mentioned it, it absolutely would have been a mean. So that, yeah. that's that's accurate. Um, all right. Well, we're here to talk Miami Heat basketball, which we always are. Um, but I'm you're catching me and I'm catching you at a pretty good time here in Miami Heat basketball. After their seven-game losing streak, they've won nine of their last 11. But before we get into any of that, we got to talk about Jimmy Butler <laughs> in the new Fallout Boy music video. This was released this afternoon. We're recording this on Wednesday the 28th. Uh, this is spectacular. I don't know what you've seen as of yet in Jimmy but Butler and his sort of rhinestone cowboy slash emo look uh, that he has in this music video, but I just need to know your initial thoughts on Jimmy Butler's uh, collaboration here with Fallout Boy. So I watched it uh, through the clips that Jimmy put out on his Instagram mm -hmm. page, and it's just a great way to start the day. Like <laughs> it's the best. You you had you realize oh thank you there's further payoff from emo jimmy right. and so we've got this you know perfect sort of visual in this video and the colors i also think are perfect like perfect. The purple very stay it just it looked it was hilarious it was it didn't look like he was out of place it looks right. like that's what jimmy butler should be doing which is mm -hmm. crazy that that's how much of him that we've seen and how much of his personality that he's shown that we're just like yep yeah, that's that's perfectly normal. And I, I've said this before on a, a platform, a national platform that got me some laughs, but I wasn't going for laughs when I said that Jimmy Butler might be the perfect superstar in the NBA right now. And, you know, it's a bit of a stretch, but he's kind of close because in terms mm -hmm. of likability, man, like who's doing this? Right, right. Well, and he's such a he's such a troll, first of all. Like he loves, absolutely loves messing with people. After the suspension, uh, after the Pelicans game, he's posting photoshops of him and Nico Jovic as bad boys, yeah. like as the mm -hmm. movie poster. Like he just loves kind of getting at people with that. And then to show up after these back to back wins coming out of the All Star break in this music video. And I think you're right. Like, particularly for a a Gen Z up and coming fan base. The way that Jimmy Butler acts and sort of trolls the entire work environment while still succeeding is kind of Gen Z for a guy who's actually a millennial. So I think you're right yeah. in that he's one of the I perfect think stars for the game. He kind of took, I mean, maybe this was a small gesture or small step, but I think of like Russell Westbrook singing Taylor Swift on social yeah. media and being like, see, this is perfectly okay. Look at me rocking out. And so it's, and here is, you know, MVP, you know, triple double machine russell westbrook so jimmy's like ah, i'm gonna be me and show me everywhere and there's market you know marketing uh opportunities from that so yeah love the guy yeah it's the best thing that emo jimmy really did have payoff what i gotta know is and maybe this is a question i can find the answer to at some point in the tunnels of the heat arena but was this 
all in the works before Jimmy actually stepped out with the emo haircut at media day. And so that was a bit of a teaser toward this, or was this a fallout boy saw an opportunity and made the call to try to make it happen. And I got to think it's the latter um, that they saw emo Jimmy, AKA heat Wentz, which I'm very excited for that nickname to continue to stick. Heat Wentz is so good. Ball out boy. Uh, and saw an opportunity and took advantage. But let's actually talk about Jimmy Butler, the basketball player, for a second. Because his impact over, I would say, the last few weeks, really kind of ramping up before he had to leave with some some personal stuff to deal with. Um, And now over these last few games since coming back has been tremendous. Um, He's sort of rounding into form. And it's so crazy. There's this, uh, there's sort of a meme that circulates on Heat Twitter where it's like, for the first from October to about January it's questioning like oh is Jimmy Butler lost a step and then it's Jim VP from February to April (laughs) and then it's Michael Jordan from from May to June and seeing the way that Jimmy ramps up have you ever seen another star sort of handle his business this way where it's like look you know that by the time of the season that this all really starts to matter, I'm going to be ascending and I'm going to be playing basketball that right now you could argue is as good on both sides of the ball as anybody in the league. I don't know if I can think of somebody off the top of my head because I feel like we're only getting sort of awakened to what players should do and should how they should treat a regular season. And also depending mm. on, you know, what where you are in your career, you know, early on, mid-range, toward the end. And so where Jimmy is in his career, he knows he's probably not going to have this for an 82-game season and, you know, four rounds of playoffs or what have you. So you do kind of pick your spots. You do kind of make sure that you save it for the right times and show that it's still uh, available to you. And I think what, what what I've really liked and watched from Jimmy is almost just the Draymond Green like way of just blowing up a play. Like Mm -hmm. defensively, just, I mean, for him, it's more of just, you know, getting steals, you know, just sort of anticipating things or just flat out dominating a guy one-on-one and taking the ball from him. But that, when you see that version of him, it's just an entirely different dynamic for this team. It takes away, because it usually ends up in a pick six or something easy on the other end. And so it takes away that, you know, drag or that grind of the half court that, you know, they sometimes can get into. And so when he adds that element, that's when you just know for him anyway, it's just that time. It's just on. He's putting in that extra effort rather than just sort of seeing how things are going and and you know planning for down the road. And so um, when that is combined with the way the team is moving the ball and the way the offense looks comfortable at times or most of the time in the half court, that's going to be the best version of this team. Right. Um, and then you know, sort of the cherry on top is if a guy like or guys like. Bam, well not like Bam, Rozier, and Hero, if they can just be slightly more efficient in smaller windows, uh, smaller opportunities, particularly Bam, because he's not going to probably get as many shots, mm-hmm. or at least not the shots that he wants. If he can be more efficient in those small windows, then then you've got the perfect formula. And so just Jimmy being able to show that part of it to me um, is what makes this team just slightly different. Because if he was you know, getting the ball in the post all the time, just doing what he did to Drew Holiday during that Bucks series, you could all say, yeah, that that would work against certain teams, but it's not going to be the best of this team. And so together, I feel like those are, are just really good signs. But the, just the Jimmy Butler of it, like that's that's where I look at it and say, if he's blowing up the offensive possessions by just being that guy, that's when you know he's kind of on it. Absolutely. And that's where his game really takes this team to another level is when his defense is leading to easy offense. And you saw it a bit against Portland when the Mm -hmm. Heat were really struggling offensively. He was able to create some some free buckets and have moments where he was like, all right, let me just play some ISO for a minute. Let me get the ball, get to the line and kind of slow things and muck things up for them as they were shooting so well from three. And I think that's a huge part of what you see when this team is able to come back in the postseason is his ability to play ISO, get to the line, slow things down and allow the entire heat defense to play what makes them so good in the half court, whether that's the zone or man to man. It's really such an advantage. And, you know, you mentioned Bam. I think the thing that's been really impressive with him, and and I'd love to get your opinion on this, is he had such a strong start to this season offensively. 
Um, we always talk about Bam's defense. He just like anybody else, he makes uh, like every year he makes a case for Defensive Player of the Year. Although I don't know if he'll ever win one at this rate because so of it's infuriating. <laughs> and maybe we could talk about that too. But and maybe we do that right after this offensive part. But on the offensive end. Bam got off to such a strong start offensively. He was playing so efficiently, putting up really great numbers. Then hit a bit of a wall. And that was part of when the Heat went into the seven-game losing streak to th that they had. He was playing relatively inefficiently. He couldn't get to the same spots. He and Jimmy weren't really playing well off of one another as Jimmy came back, clogging up the paint against each other. And now we've seen Bam sort of make his next adjustment. As the league adjusted to him, he's adjusted back and is starting to perform well on that offensive side of the ball. So when you see those two playing off of each other, what has impressed you the most about Bam's growth in his offensive game to continue to be that complimentary piece to a guy like Jimmy Butler? To your point real quick, yeah, I think it was against Portland. I saw Jimmy and Bam uh, pick and roll when Jimmy hit the pocket pass. And he's oh, like, wow. Yep. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow, finally. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I, I do think that it's a lot of, you know, it's that growth and you're allowed to sort of take a step back to continue, right? So... Um, with Bam, it's always been his offense seemed to get better when he's forced to have the opportunities, when he's going to be in a rhythm, when guys are out and he just knows, hey, I'm going to take these shots or what have you. Um, I think where people just wanted, they wanted more of a consistency from him. They want him to have sort I know I want to have sort of a go-to shot, which maybe I thought was like that fade from the dotted line for a little while, but then he got cold on that. And so maybe he wasn't really feeling confident with it and didn't really go back to it as often. But I think that's sort of what the regular season's for, at least for Bam in a lot of uh, ways, because you're just working on it anticipating what you're going to see so that when you see it less often, you'll still react fast enough and get to what you want to do. And I think probably the best sign for the way he has improved, even though, you know, the, the numbers have gone down a little bit is if you look at uh, the way he's handling double teams now, because if you remember mm -hmm. when they first started doubling him, it was a S show. It was right. terrible. And, right. and now it's just, it does. It, there wasn't even that panicking part. Now it's just completely calm. And it's more of a, you know, back out, you know, you don't have to make the perfect pass right out of a double team. You could just kind of let the offense work out of it. And so that part, I think, is encouraging uh, so that when he does get on a little bit of a roll and teams try to switch it up and, and, and double him, he's not going to be in a sort of panicky mode. And I think that's one sign that's improved. I'd still love to see him find a shot, uh, like a go-to shot, and just take it 10 times a game. You know, right. uh, whether it be that, you know, short like overhand hook or the, um, you know, like the fade jump shot. He's never going to feel like he's a natural scorer because he's mm. developing as, you know, the later age in terms of basketball goes. But he's got all those shots. And so, um, you know, some of my favorite plays with him is the simple, you know, guy hits him to him with like from 12 feet from the basket. And he just goes up and just yep. go, don't take your time. Don't wait. Just go up and shoot the shot. And it's such an easy uh, pick and roll choice to have option to have what one where the defense is just going to be like I'm never going to contest that properly so they can get that all they want and so if you just keep if you trust yourself with that shot it's it's going to be a, a nightmare for defenses so I'd love for him to feel that a little bit more and and show it again in those smaller windows I'm excited to see because you saw glimpses of it in in last night's game where Jimmy working as a screener for him and him working as a screener for Jimmy and watching the two of them be able to distribute. And then, as you mentioned, Bam getting more and more comfortable working out of the double team again last night and even against the Kings. Perfect examples against the Kings. It turned into a lot of Jaime Jaquez where he was distributing to him and he got hot himself. And then last night, Duncan Robinson, Nico Jovic, as Jimmy and Bam were both being doubled a ton in the second half. They were able to kick out of those situations and, and really allow their role players to become a part of it just because I saw how frustrated it made you. I want to talk about the defensive player of the year element of this, too, because the fact that Bam, who anchors what is always one of the best defenses in the league through every version of playing great defense that you could ask out of anyone, whether it's a guard, a wing, a center, Bam Adebayo does it. Why do you think that Bam has a great reputation nationally as a defender, but never seems to be considered for the 
top two or three defenders in the league, a guy who's a defense, a real defensive player of the year candidate? Statistics. <laughs> it's just a numbers <laughs> thing. It really if people is. have no idea, like for somebody to really, honestly, honorably, objectively vote for defensive player of the year, you'd have to have a great understanding for basketball and pretty much watch every game yeah. for every team. Because if you don't watch Bam Adebayo all the time, you don't know that he is the reason the defense works. He is yep. everything that a, you know a coach coaching defense would want out of their big man. Maybe if he had a couple of extra inches of height to block shots, but I mean even that's unnecessary. Like the idea that the Heat are are low in the league and blocked shots. Some people would say it means that they're bad at defense, and other people would say, no, they don't even have to get to that point. Their right. defense is going to stop the ball before it gets to the rim. And so it's just one of those, um, like, not under fully understanding of the game. Like, I, I've, I've watched Jaron Jackson Jr. play a lot. I'm not saying I watched every single Memphis Grizzlies game last year or whatever, or the year he won uh, Depoy, but it's just not the same feel. Like, yeah, am I going to have a difficult sh time getting a shot off against Triple J? Sure. Yep, one-on-one, -on -one, probably. But put him versus Bam in a team defense situation, I'm taking Bam 100% of the yes. time. 100% yes. of the time. And so it's just, it's it's just frankly, a not really understanding the game. And this is not like I'm sitting up here on the high horse saying, oh, you got to You don't know basketball. ball. It's just the game evolves. Like, we weren't asking centers to do what Bam Adebayo was doing 15 years ago. So, you know, you don't realize that, hey, keeping... I don't know, any point guard, LaMelo ball in front of you on a switch situation is mm -hmm. absolutely critical and something that 1% of centers in the history of the NBA could have done. So it's just it's just a matter of the game changing and bam, um, you know, doing things that don't necessarily, you know, connect with defensive player of the year type of stuff. You And, and so it's, and, and, you know, it's nobody's fault, really. Because it's one of those awards that you could probably argue, you know, you could give to seven different people any given year. Marcus Sol won it over LeBron James one year, which is insane. Right. So, um, yeah, I, it's frustrating, but it's just it's only frustrating to the people who are fans of that team or know mm -hmm. that player or have any sort of relationship with these people. And so, yeah, I, I think Bam is fine with the respect level that he gets and doesn't really need the award. Certainly. Uh, and, and we all know that that winning championships and all of that means more to these guys than any of these individual accolades that being said uh it is bonkers and it's funny to think that like when i look back and i think about it i almost feel like there was more legitimate consideration for hassan whiteside to be a defensive player of the year because quote <laughs> nobody's doing it with blocks nobody's doing it with blocks you know right it's it's all about counting stats and and not necessarily the same thing. Um, but Can I ask but, you a question real quick yeah, while please. we're on Miami Heat bigs, please. and I am currently googling this because I really don't know what the uh, consensus is on this. But Kevin Love, Hall of Famer? Oh, I think so. I, I, ever since uh, who was it? Mitch Richmond. Ever since Mitch Richmond, I believe, made the Hall of Fame, and I believe he had five All Star game appearances. That was to me set at the minimum. It's like, hey, yeah. you make five, you're considered for the Hall of Fame. And so he's got five All Star he's games. Five. He's got five crazy, uh, you know, numbers with Minnesota, and he's got a championship with Cleveland, which I know means more for LeBron, mm. uh, or counts more than one. But maybe it counts like more than one for for Kevin too. And he made the finals again last year. I don't know. I think he might be a Hall of Famer. You think if if uh, he didn't have that one ISO defensive possession on Steph in that finals, that it would be the same? Because I think that's what's immediately sticking out yeah. to me. Well, that would definitely be the only defensive highlight shown yeah, in the, in the entire day. It'll be a bunch of Correct. rebounds, outlet passes, threes, yep. layups, and that one possession of defense. You know, it's funny you say that. I would have thought, honestly, looking at, I was surprised to find out it was only five All Star games for Kevin Love. It feels like more, especially mm -hmm. considering what he was in minnesota we also got to remember basketball hall of fame he was a great college player he was, he was when that's still a, yep he was a pack 10 player of the year when that was a thing and he went to didn't win but went to a national championship against the gators um which i know you know well 
Uh, and he'll, so he'll win another championship this year. He's there in. He's go. in after this see, year. Guaranteed. Yeah. See, we're good to go. That's a good. I like that. That's a good question. I hadn't thought of that thus far. Um, All right, and then on my second question is: Is is uh, Delon Wright? Delon Wright, excuse me. Uh, the greatest pickup that they've gotten from a a uh, buyout situation because they've had in a few. They've had a well, few. Well, but I you think you could argue DeLon Kevin Wright's Love is. Kevin, Kevin Love, Kevin Love, one hundred percent. But but okay, and in back to back years, those are two great pickups. Those I, are this is an opportunity to talk about Delon Wright because I think mm -hmm. he's going to be a great addition to this team. I couldn't agree with you more, and and we can stick with that because it's amazing to to see what has happened for them at the point guard position here, where Kyle Lowry was, let's be real, really struggling. Um, and I'll I'll give Kyle Lowry credit. Um, not only a huge part of the reason they were the one seed a couple of years ago, but a huge part of the run that they made last year in the postseason that goes sort of um, underappreciated, I would say, um, because Gabe Vincent ended up taking a, a chunk of that role. Yeah. Um, and for the first 30 to 35 games this year, when Tyler Hero missed a lot of time, when Bam Adebayo missed a lot of time, when Jimmy Butler missed a lot of time, he was a crucial part of even keeping them afloat. So Kyle Lowry does deserve his flowers on that respect. That being said, having Terry Rozier and DeLon Wright in that uh, point guard role now for the Miami Heat is such a gigantic upgrade to what it is that they had in terms of playmaking. From and Gabe DeLon. and Kyle. I hadn't even thought about it that way, but that right. is that is the upgrade. That's it. That's the upgrade. That you're at DeLon Wright and Terry Rozier from, from Gabe Vincent and Kyle Lowry. And Gabe, look, Gabe played out of his mind in the postseason last year. But Terry's so, a better shot creator. Right. A uh, better shot maker, more athletic. Um, mm -hmm. DeLon Wright, longer, more better uh, on-ball defender. Mm -hmm. uh, probably a better help defender than Gabe, even. Yeah. Uh, not Kyle. Kyle takes so many charges. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think and, – and I think – you got two guys, and this is, uh, you know, this is where that heat culture is just sort of building and building and building sort of this mythology. Because you got two guys, and Terry Rozier, who's been a Heat fan, wanted to be yep. here. And DeLon Wright, whose brother played here, wanted to be here. Yep. And it's like, and they know, and, and I heard in the post game, I think it was the last game. It was. One of these Terry? last two games with Terry, yeah. Yep. Where he's just, you know, saying, I just want to win, doesn't matter about scoring, yada, yada. And it's just like... Most people thought that he would have been the exact opposite guy because they mm -hmm. think he was a big scorer in a, a on a bad team and they just come with that reputation. And you're not that person. And DeLon Wright's never been sort of an offense first player. He's been a mm -hmm. defense first player. And he's got – and so I think, yeah, I think those two are going to be huge as long as, you know, they stay healthy and, and that and Spo makes sense of that rotation. Uh, but there's just so much variety with how they can initiate yep. offense now with Jimmy in the poster at the – Pick and roll, Jaime Jaquez in the post with Trozier creating, Tyler create. It's 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 probably a lot of fun for Coach Spolstra right now. Spolstra has to just be so excited at the amount of options that he has, and yet at times they're scoring you know 14 points in a first quarter, which is just hilarious. Yeah. But get him to the it, playoffs after right. another two months of experimenting. Get him to the playoffs. Well, that's the big thing is is it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out because they, they are so deep. And gosh, I, I feel so bad for Josh Richardson who was playing right. so well and then separates his shoulder and he may just lose out on an opportunity to be in this rotation because of the addition of DeLon Wright and the addition of Terry Rozier. And now, you know, you look the two of them. What's in your phrase? Court. An embarrassment of riches? Hey, I think Josh Richardson. Hey, hey <laughs> look. Was I right or was I right? Was You're I right or was right. I right? You're I'm currently, currently right. right. I'm not sure how right you were yeah. then. Uh, yeah, I was but, right. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do think that the depth is huge. I think the Josh Richard thing's funny because he had this reputation, not even reputation, it was, he made bad decisions in, in clutch situations in his past. And he comes back here and didn't really put himself in position to make too many bad decisions, maybe one or two here or there. But he was the guy who was taking like Duncan Robinson, like early shot clock threes. Yeah. And hitting them at a good enough rate where yeah. you're not saying anything about it. Right. And it's just like, how? how? Him of all people to come in with mm -hmm. that confidence and make all those shots. And yeah, it was the, I mean, you could probably ask him, he'd probably tell you the worst season for him to get hurt because he'd yep. been playing so well because the yep. team had projected to be really good. And so, yeah, it's unfortunate for him. But again, it's it's like you mentioned, like you have a lot of options. You have defensive lineups, you have offensive lineups, you have ways to match up with other teams. Now, it could just be where 
Boston runs away with this season. And we all look back and say, damn, that team was overwhelming. It's crazy. Um, they finally overcame, blah, blah, blah. But if I'm the Heat, I'm thinking I like the matchup. I like it just fine. We beat them last year. Let's go. I love that. I love that mentality. And I, so I want to ask you about Duncan Robinson before we do sort of round out that rotation conversation. Because mm-hmm. Duncan, he also hit one stretch of the season where he was struggling a bit to shoot. Right. But his growth this year, to me, you know, I know it's not going to go to him, but he should be the most improved player in in the league. And it won't go to him because you, again, look at the stats, look at the percentages from three. People think of him as a three-point shooter, and it's not that markedly different. But all of the things that he's added to his game, I mean, he had 11 assists the other night while shooting poorly. While shooting poorly. Right, shooting poorly, but the the confidence right. and the ability to to drive to the hoop, to be a creator for this team. I mean, at times, he is not just the guy who's creating offense for them the way that he used to back in 2020, where it was like, all right, let's spam that dribble handoff with him and Bam. It's because he is initiating offense. What what can you say about the growth of Duncan Robinson? <laughs> and and do we not talk about his journey enough? Jeremy, there was a time this season where I said in our in my basketball group chat that Duncan Robinson had the deepest bag of all the Miami Heat players because <laughs> he was pulling out so many things. He got the Smitty, yeah. um, you know, he's finishing with the left at the rim. He's just banking shots in. And this is a little bit in the Bam out of bio territory in terms of if you're not watching, you have no clue what right. level of improvement he's made because you're just looking at the numbers and you say, oh, he averaged this in 2020 and at a higher clip. And yeah, he did, but he was just shooting those threes back then. And I think this stretch of where he has recovered from that little shooting slump that you mentioned and is back doing this, taking those shots, talking smack, um, making the right passes, um, fighting with Jalen Brown, all of those mm-hmm. things still display a confidence that we thought was zapped from him. And now not only is it back, but it's back because not just because he found a shot again, it's because everything else, it's like he realized he was six, eight all of a sudden. It's like, <laughs> wow, I can finish over people. I'll just go do that. And then uh, or I can, you know, I can shoot from 25 feet. Why not from 12 if I'm wide open? And I think those things just kind of come together. And once you see them in practice working out for you, then like Duncan Robinson has got to be saying to himself. Who's going to stop me? Like, I've got got every counter in the books and I've got people in Bam and Jimmy and all these guys and Kevin who know how to utilize Mm -hmm. my strengths. And so when you talk about most improved player, it's not necessarily the guy who's got the most improved stats, although that's pretty much who wins it every year. Duncan is a better player today by far than he was in 2020 when he had his breakout year but he is significantly better just than last year. Right. And when you, you know, when you just look at the footage and just show his highlight clips from, let's say the last three years and then show his highlight clips from this year, they're going to look different. He's a different player. And, and that's, that's a level of improvement that again, people aren't going to know unless they're, you know, basically studying this guy. And so he's not going to win. He's probably not even going to finish in the top five in the voting, but he should absolutely be considered. And it is, him himself is one of the most unique NBA stories I've ever heard in my life. Undrafted, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the key, the key. And I know Jimmy Butler is the key, but the key to that team making the finals and having yep. the uh, success that it did with people not big, not knowing what to do with Duncan Robinson and him hitting 45% of his threes. Um, and then just falling off, like, and then you say, like, oh, okay, see you later, Steve Novak. But then here comes right. this other guy that we've never yep. seen before. And it's like, wow, that's still Duncan Robinson. Yep. And so it's just a testament to him, his stick to but also just the faith that the organization has in him. Like they paid him and they weren't going to make that, weren't going to let that be a mistake. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he, he sort of fixed his game and proved his game. And it's just been a lot of fun to watch. I've talked about it a, a ton on here. And I, I know I've mentioned it on Lebitard show as well. But the fact that, you know, at this time last year, Duncan was spending time playing two-on-two with Udonis Haslam, Jamal Cain, and Orlando Robinson in practice because Max Struess was starting to take his minutes. And that's where he was improving his game, creating more that could go in his bag. It's just one of the most impressive stories of being able to kind of stick with everything. And, you know, you mentioned Kevin Love before, and we were talking about him as, you know, Hall of Famer, but... 
his ability to help this team continue to gel. And that's the thing I think is a, is a buyout guy. What a fit he's been because with Udonis Haslam leaving, Bam stepping into the captainship role, a guy who by nature doesn't necessarily want to be the get in your face vocal type of leader, but sort of a leader by example. To have another vet around in Kevin Love to not only be sort of inspiring for the young guys, but then with a guy like Duncan, those, those two guys are close. Like the conversations that I know that they have off the court that that means so much to inspiring the confidence of a player like Duncan to kind of keep going the way that he feeds into that sort of mentality when you have your other two leaders and Jimmy and Bam who aren't necessarily those personality types. Um, it's hugely important to what this team does and in missing the personalities of Max Struess and Gabe Vincent, who I know were real uniters in that locker room, uh, Kevin Love has been invaluable in helping to build these guys up. Um, but ultimately, l- let's talk about this. How how do you see this rotation ultimately panning out? Because we're having this conversation <laughs> about the Heat winning all these games. Well, right? First of all, you've been hanging around. I mean, you've been around John Crotty a little too much because... Up until I heard it from John Crotty, I hadn't heard the word captainship. And now oh, you just man. dropped it on You're me. You're right. Like, hmm. I, I think maybe I have been hanging out with Crotty too much, <laughs> listening to too many of our own broadcasts. Uh, number two, uh, it's funny that you mentioned the sort of the leadership and the the personality of Kevin Love, because I've always been huge on on the energy of a basketball team. The mm. you know There needs to be some some joy there. Steph Curry probably be being the most latest best example. And I used to, I remember watching him with Cleveland and when LeBron was still there and sort of the cheesiness of their, you know, their acts. And it was just like, uh, you can kind of see through it, right? It's just, oh, but then you realize you need that on a team. Like you need somebody to show the joy that is happening. Because Jimmy, you'd never know when he's going to get excited, you know, once, but I would say 85% of the time, he's just going to mean mug back to the bench. It's not going to be a gesture or anything else. But all the other things that Kevin Love does here, I think just sort of adds, just subtle reminders that, hey, the game's fun. And hey, yeah, while we're entertaining people, like I'll go ahead and say, hey, my bad, whatever. It's just, I don't know. There's just something about that that can be, can sort of, be helpful to a team yeah, like big time. I, I, I think he's a great unifier in terms of him talking with everybody on the team and him sharing his experiences. And he's just a, a great voice for that. But just his the way he acts on the basketball floor is just yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like it's contagious. I feel like it sort of shows you that this team's being coached. Right. It's just like, oh, my bad. I know we're supposed to do this. That He's just I don't know. He's an extension of, of Coach Spo on the floor. And I think he just brings a joy to the game that, like I've said before, you don't like Kyle didn't bring that. Kyle no. brought mostly complaining uh, to the refs, <laughs> you know, Tyler on occasion. But it, I felt like it was almost beat out of Tyler because people want him to be perfect out there and everything else. And, uh, and you know, Duncan has some of that, especially yeah. when he starts, you know, talking his stuff. But um, nobody really brings it out the way Kevin does. And it doesn't. It, and you know, he brings he, it out of every guy on the team, by the way. Correct. Like it, that's right. the part when you talk about him as a unifier and, and who he is sort of in the locker room as well. Like that's the thing that makes it special is he can bring that out of Bam. He could bring that out of Duncan. He could bring that out of Jimmy. He could bring that out of anybody on the team because mm-hmm. of the way that he acts on the floor and off of it. So having him around, that's why, again, as great as that DeLon Wright buyout is, I'm going to have <laughs> yeah, to stack right. him up with Kevin Love as one of Kevin the other Kevin Love greatest. also have arguably the world's most photogenic dog. Oh my God! He takes great oh, photos. That family, dog. <laughs> it's like the most beautiful family that's ever existed. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But yeah, all right. So now I'm, we're uh, we talked enough about Kevin Love. We got to get to the rotation. All right, I'm gonna okay. make you that's do right. this because it is complicated with that embarrassment of riches as we spoke about. But very seriously, y- you look at a number of different positions on this team, and there is a ton of depth. And as you look at it now, I mean, 31 different starting lineups in 58 games. Um, and I'm going to bring out a whiteboard. I see the whiteboard. Right. I just don't have the marker to go yeah, with it. But I mean, you got to take Jovic out of the rotation, right? Well, that's that's probably where that's things start. One. But the crazy part about it is that not only has he been productive, but he's been starting for this team under, so uh, you know, for so many games. Kevin Love has really been the primary backup five. So when you look at that power forward position and you look at Jovic, you look at Haywood Highsmith, you look at Caleb Martin. Then when you look at Jimmy Butler. 
you look at 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 the guard rotation. You see Duncan Robinson. You see Tyler Hero. You see DeLon Wright. You see Terry Rozier. I mean, there are so many guys, and I haven't even mentioned Jaime Hawkins yet. So, okay, guys that I think you can probably use as just spot rotational guys. It, I'm talking playoffs because right. – um, that's think, where ultimately this goes, by the way. Look, the, yeah. Heat, the Heat can have their regular season rotation. In the, in the year they were the one seed that they lost in seven games to Boston, they didn't figure out their starting lineup until three games left in the season mm-hmm. when Max Struess took over for Duncan Robinson. I think Jovic and Highsmith are guys you can use spot if needed. I don't think you probably even see Jovic unless other people are, are hurt or just poorly performing. Um, and I think Highsmith is a guy who is not hurt by... He'll give you the same as he plays three minutes or 30 minutes. Um, right. And I think, you know, if you need that defensive stopper or that defensive stop lineup, I think you can bring him off the bench ice cold and he'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So I think those are two you can probably sit. I feel it's it's unfortunate, but I think if this group gets a rhythm, I think Josh Richardson might not be able to see the floor, not with right. uh, with Wright and, and Rozier here. I think the most encouraging sign, if you're somebody who wants to see the playoffs mirror what this team's doing in the regular season is the the willingness to play Duncan Robinson, the heavy minutes, and even in late in games, even if you think a team's going to target him defensively because of what he does offensively and that, frankly, the team defense has gotten to a point where they just respond better. They know how to cover for him mm-hmm. while he's also a little bit better as well. And so um, I think that... <clears throat> that is means he's going to stick. And so I think a lot of times people think that, hey, defense, maybe get rid of Duncan because you've got enough shooters around him. Mm-mm. I think I think you keep playing him. And I think um, the guy whose minutes could vary from like 15 to 30 is Hawkes. I think mm-hmm. he's a guy that you just sort of play kind of riding the hot hand type of thing. Like if he's out there and not really being an impact, all right, don't worry about it. Go ahead. We'll we'll put you back in when at another time and see if we we benefit from that. Um, but if he is going, and because there's such variety in his game, because there's such you know, you can play off of him very well, and he'll still pass the ball. I think he could easily be a guy that you know, if he's going well, you know, gets thirty minutes and maybe pulls back some Tyler's and a little bit of of Terry's and Duncan. But I think I think there's enough two way players on there that. Eric can do a lot of things. Um, and I think the guys that are maybe a little bit limited on one side, whether it be a Haywood on the offense, still hitting threes and still yep. would be comfortable doing that with less minutes. And then, uh, you know, you got a, a Duncan, I'm sorry, a Jaime Hawkins, who I think can adjust if his minutes are altered. But that's probably the way I would go. I'm not sure. What does that leave me? Nine people? Yeah, I think, well, basically where you ended up is with a a four-guard rotation. In terms mm-hmm. of Terry Rozier, DeLon Wright, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. Yep. You got Jimmy Butler. You got Caleb Martin. Caleb. Caleb, who would be your Jaime. starting four. Jaime. And you had Bam and Kevin. Bam, Kevin. Yeah, that's nine. Yeah, so that's your nine-man rotation if they go that deep. Um, the intriguing thing, ultimately, is going to be seeing who starts in the backcourt and what the minutes distribution is and how they play off of each other. Um, because we've seen so much success with Duncan Robinson in that starting lineup, but we know Tyler Hero is a starter for this team. Um, and so I am intrigued to see the way that Eric Spolstra is able to manage all of those minutes and manage, so honestly, the, the egos of any of these athletes who are at the top of their game in the ability to see who starts, who comes off the bench, and who's in that closing lineup, which ultimately, yeah. if if we're being honest, I think is the one that any of these guys wants to be in the most. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's Terry, Tyler, uh, Jimmy, Caleb, Bam. Yep. And I think uh, yep. Duncan gets heavy minutes off the yep. bench. I agree. Um, and Terry, I think Terry and Tyler, their games are very similar. Yep. In terms of how they uh, create offense. And so I don't think you need them both on the floor at the same time. So I think, you know, you probably stagger their minutes as much and still have a, a creator and a shooter out there. And so, yeah, I think that's probably the way to go. And it's pretty, I mean, honestly, it's a better rotation than the one last year where they got right. to the finals. Right. Well, that's all right. So this is going to, this is going to be good. We're going to, we're going to do one spoke question and then I'm going to start, I'm going to hook you into saying something interesting. 
Um, not that this hasn't. I haven't said anything interesting yet. So <laughs> not that this hasn't here. all been interesting. Here it comes. No, 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 no. Stop. Uh, all right. I, I want to talk about Eric Spolster for a second because, man, if we're going to get frustrated about Bama to Bio not winning a defensive player of the year, Eric Spolster has never won coach of the year. Yeah. Um, and when you see this team in the way that in February they went from a team that was struggling mightily defensively in January to, hey, they're the best defensive team in the NBA in, in the month of February. They're deploying more zone defense than anybody in the league by like more than double the possessions of any other team. Why do you think it is that Eric Spolstra hasn't won a coach of the year? And, and what stands out to you the most about what makes him a top tier coach, not just in the league right now, but really one of the greatest ever. Um, that's such a loaded question because there's it so is. many things that go into being this level of quality head coach, because you're building year after year after year, you're building your own reputation, you're building relationships, you're building a trust level um, and you're at, you're just adding to it. And so coach Spolstra in 2013 is an entirely different coach in 2023. Mm -hmm. um, the parts that are consistent though, are the way he treats players, the way he looks at the bigger picture. Um, he is egoless, at least outwardly, you know, I'm sure at home, right. everybody's got their ego, but outwardly he's egoless. And that creates, you know, that sort of feeling for the players as well, even though he's got the reputation as the greatest coach in the league, he's got the resume, uh, with all the finals appearances and the championships. Um, I remember one time it was funny. I don't even know why I'm telling this story. I'm not trying to embarrass coach Bo or anything, but it just kind of goes to show the type of the like, humility that he has. Um, it was, I think, his first, maybe second year coaching. And he was using the word levity wrong in a press conference. And so I just kind of went over to after the press conference and told the PR guy, I was like, hey, just just so you know, <laughs> Eric knows he's he's just not using that word right. It doesn't mean what he thinks it means. And Eric was just like, were they all laughing at me? <laughs> that's great. That's what that's what the PR guy told me that he responded, <laughs> and I was like, no, no, like I don't think anybody really said anything at all. We just kind of like that's why I was just, but no, nobody wanted him right. to to feel bad because you right. know he's, it's Bo, like he's the man, and so he's I don't know. I, I've always found him as a guy who is just he doesn't feel like he's got it all figured out. He's always sort mm -hmm. of learning while he's teaching, and um, just to. I don't want to say perfect, but just a great personality for a coach, especially a coach who didn't play at that level, yep. especially a coach who like, that's something that, you know, you don't really hear a lot about, but you've really got to convince some NBA players that you know what you're talking about if you haven't played at that level, even for a minute. Mm -hmm. And so uh, just, just so many things about him, you know, the basketball IQ, all that stuff, you know, that goes without saying you have to be that type of intelligence in your sport in order to succeed at his level. But it's just the person that he is, the personality that he has, the way he treats, you know, the other people in the organization. And frankly, you know, he treats people that he doesn't even want to talk to particularly well because he knows it's all part of the game. I remember one yep. time where he just yelled. I think I told you this before, where he just yelled right before uh, a a third quarter interview i don't want to do this and then just, <laughs> i was like oh great now it's gonna have terrible answers and he got on the mic and gave great answers and i right, didn't have course. to worry about that at all and so he's just he's, he seems to have it together despite you know at the time let's just call it the big three era going through some of the most maniacal you know crazy uh times a coach could ever go through yeah i it's so important when you talk about his um having to convince other players right that he knows what he's talking about i think there's such a wonderful buy-in now where it it took going through such a crazy time with the big three but then coming out the other side of it a two-time champion to where now anyone who walks into this building knows like all right if that guy coached lebron and wade yeah. and bosh and then in turn ray allen and shane battier and all of these other guys who were part of those teams well, I think I can go ahead and listen as well. And I think the way that that you've seen him constantly achieve with these rosters, no matter the roster, whether it's taking an obviously poor roster and turning it into 30 and 11 in the second half of a season led by 
James Johnson and Tyler Johnson off the bench or taking a core like this and getting them back to the Eastern Conference Finals year His turnover time is getting faster, too, because if you recall, the finals in 2011 couldn't figure it out. Could not figure out the zone defense, couldn't figure out. And then or why LeBron wasn't doing what he was doing, uh, wasn't in his comfort spots, etc. And now he's making those changes game to game, Mm -hmm. uh, if not within a game. And yep. so, yeah, he's just, that's what I was saying. He's hes constantly improving while he's also teaching. And so that hasn't stopped. He still hasn't thought to himself, I know it. I don't have to worry about it anymore. I, I figured this game out. He's constantly questioning himself. And it seems like he's that way as well with players and personalities. And that to think that he's been able to adapt over the span of what's now been, you know, a 15-year coaching career in coaching guys from one generation to literally an entire different generation and can still connect on the human to human level as a motivator is that that's something that I think is really impressive because there's a lot of guys where look we've seen it right now with Bill Belichick where in football players have sort of passed him by like that level of connection um is really impressive to me but the, the time there was a time the time when when Stan took over for Pat, um, I remember listening to the press conference and then going to game by game, listening to Stan Van Gundy before and after games and thinking to myself, there's not the same weight to his words as there were when Pat, Pat Riley could have said the exact same thing you just said, Stan, but it doesn't hit the same. And you know, over time, Stan became a respected voice. And, you know, by the time he was in Orlando, would say things and, you know, it would be well respected or well heard. Um, Spo has gone from a guy nobody knew to now a guy where he said something, it's going to be taken in, it's going to be yep. respected, it's going to be digested, it's going to be talked about. And it does have weight to it because he has done the things that Pat Riley has done mm-hmm. and with the biggest superstars in the game. And so that to me is just a just a crazy shift. And, you know, you'd be around long enough and you see, you know, these changes in people. And, and that's just a crazy shift and well-deserved as well, because, you know, frankly, you could argue his his path has been tougher than Pat's was early on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's had his fair share of success, obviously. All right. Final question for you. He'd have now won 9 of 11 after losing 7 straight. They're 8 games over 500 for the second time this season. I mentioned the 31 starting lineups in 58 games. Best defense in the NBA over the last month. Jimmy back and healthy and producing. Bam producing. Terry Rozier starting to look comfortable. Tom Haberstroh called him a title contender. I heard Zach Harper recently on his podcast Emotional say that the only team he'd be... Basically, the Celtics are the only team he'd expect to come out of the East more than the Miami Heat. He'd be the least surprised to see the Miami Heat right after them. You're the Miami guy. So, what's your view on the Heat's title chances? And can you top what Haberstroh or Harper said there? I mean, it's a lot of pressure being the Miami guy. But, uh, as the Miami guy, I'm pretty sure some of these folks you just mentioned just probably went to the preseason predictions and found what the Miami guy put out there to begin with, which was the Miami Heat will win the NBA championship over the Golden State Warriors. And so uh, if you think they beat me to it, nope, <laughs> I was months <laughs> ahead of it. And so, you know, I look at this team and I say, like I said before, the rotation is better than the rotation that got to the finals last year. Um, I think you keep getting lucky with these injuries. Terry Rozier, not that bad. Tyler Hero, mm-hmm. not that bad. And I think if they continue with the the good fortune of health this last, whatever, month and a half of the season, I think everybody's going to be scared to death of them. I think at some point, you know, things have been going really well for Boston. At some point, there will be a stretch where everything is questioned. It happens with every single NBA champion if they end up being an NBA champion. So there will still be a a point where they get questioned and will, you know, those demons come back? Will Jalen Brown, you know, lose the ball a bunch of times? Will Jason Tatum, you know, shoot a hundred times and and not really uh, come up clutch when they need him? Um, All those things are possibilities. All those things are things that we've seen very uh, recently. And so do I think they're a title contender? Absolutely. Do I like them better than the Milwaukee Bucks? Yep. Do I like them better than the Celtics? Not yet. Not yet. 
Because mm-hmm. uh, like I said earlier, it could be where the Celtics run away with this thing. We all look back and say, yep, they were by far the best team. And, right. you know, Porzingis was just the right addition. But it also could be that by the time they get to, I don't know, the Eastern Conference Finals, Kristaps Porzingis isn't even there anymore <laughs> because mm-hmm. we haven't seen him make a deep run. We don't know. And it's just, you know, we're assuming you don't want to assume injury. That sounds ridiculous. But we haven't seen him deep into the playoffs. And so mm-hmm. um, everything seems to be a little bit more wide open. I'm not too afraid of the Knicks. I think a Miami Knicks first round would be would be chef's kiss. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think I think they're a hundred percent a when the playoffs come around, Miami Heat will be mentioned in everybody's discussion about who's going to come out of the East. They're going to have to mention them. They're going to have to. I love it. I love it. You nailed it. You gave me exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's the perfect social media clip. Welcome so to this Miami that. Heat echo chamber. Yeah, it is. That's what I, I welcomed you in. We talked about it for 45 minutes and we left in the it's exact a great place, place that be. we I'm should. Yeah, the Miami Heat echo chamber is, is where everybody wants to be. Well, Izzy, um, before I let you go, I do want to remind people where they can find your work. Um, and also, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. You have a certain podcast that's up for a certain <laughs> award. And I want you to be able to plug it again because it's not it's not airing right now. But incredible work that I think any Heat fan listening to this who yeah. hasn't already and heard you can it will still want to go back it. It's, uh, it was called Four Years of Heat. It's nominated for an AMBI, an A-M-B-I-E, an AMBI, which is a pop, a very legitimate podcast award, <laughs> mind you. And I'm serious, like they have a whole yeah. uh, award ceremony in Los Angeles and yeah. it's I'm up for best sports podcast with and it's not like a, a differentiating Woo. between daily or weekly or anything. And so mine is an eight part uh, documentary series. And so it's up against like all the smoke. It's up against the, the Kelsey's podcast and a couple others. And so um, I don't think I'm going to win. But the fact that a bunch of people who aren't Miami Heat fans necessarily listened to this podcast right. and said, hey, it's pretty good. I'm going to put this up here and uh, nominate it. I, I, it makes me very proud. And so if you haven't heard it or if you haven't heard of it, uh, Four Years of Heat, you can find it anywhere you find your podcast. Just uh, listen to me talk about the heat for eight episodes. It's not just Do me. It. Not just me. It's, uh, it's a lot of heat related people and it's a lot of fun. And so, yeah, I'm very proud of that nomination. It's amazing. It's uh, no Emmy, but go. you know, it's uh, an Emmy. Nah, it's 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 <laughs> it's a legitimate ceremony in Los Angeles. It's national. I just, you know, just sing behind me is just you know, it's, just, it's regional. <laughs> uh, Izzy, as always, thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with you again when the Heat are this on this run back to the Eastern Conference Finals and inevitably the NBA. And the finals. I told you so echo chamber. Oh, it's going to be great. Be I'm amazing. already, I was having a conversation <laughs> earlier today with Juju Gotti about, hey, we got to start collecting clips for my I told you so real on Levitard show. I can't there wait it for it. All right. Thanks, Izzy. You got it, Jim. Jeremy.